somebody had the bright idea that people would be really interested in uh, lessons I have learned from being pastor here at Orchard Hill. Uh, so it's been really fun for me getting kind of nostalgic and thinking about these last decades. And um, so that's what we're going to talk about for a little bit today, because I feel like uh, it has certainly been a growing time in my life that I have learned a lot that I think applies to me and to us as a church and hopefully to you as individuals as well. I actually graduated from seminary in 1970. And uh, that was back in the last century, yes. And uh, served churches in Denver, Colorado, and Des Moines, Iowa. And then in 1981 was invited to come here to be senior pastor at Orchard Hill. I had been a youth pastor, really, in the churches that I'd served before. And, uh, um, and that's, a fun, that's a fun job. I loved it a lot. And uh, discovered soon after coming here that people treat you differently when you're the senior pastor. Um, I remember in those days we did our own custodial work. And so two families would sign up for a month of cleaning the church. And then periodically we would also have work days when we'd come and try to get the place spruced up. And, of course, the building was a lot smaller in those days. And I remember one of the first times we were here, I was working on something and there were some guys down the hall a little ways who were talking and they were talking about the preacher and I realized that's me I'm the preacher so um, I began to sort of mentally adjust uh, to this uh, new role so um, you know we were very young at that point I've got a a picture here of uh, this is actually from our installation of program uh, I think I was 36 when we came here. Sally's hair was a lot darker. Uh, mine was a lot longer. And our kids were just little kids. It seemed, uh, boy, it seems like a, a long time ago. And uh, so when I came, we already had um, a staff person here. Right from the beginning, really, of Orchard Hill's history, we had um, believed that God had positioned us in a kind of a unique way to minister on UNI's campus. And so we had a campus pastor. His name was Jim Hibma. I've got a picture of Jim and me together, smiling Jim, uh, fun guy. And uh, when I came here, we were already a high-tech church because we had lapel mics that you pinned on, you know, so you didn't have to just stand behind the pulpit uh, when you preached. But, of course, they had these long cords um, dangling from them, and every week, every week, without fail, Jim would step on his cord and pull the mic off. So you just expected that at some some point during the service. Uh, the other thing you expected every week was that I would cry. I'm an emotional person, and you got to admit, though, I've been doing better the last 20 years or so, don't you think? I don't don't cry nearly as often as I used to. Uh, the building was really small. In fact, we've got a picture of that, too. Basically, it was what is the commons now was pretty much it, and then a little bit of hallway going down with a couple offices. So none of that stuff around the commons, 109, you know, 111, the kitchen, all of that, none of that was there. It was uh, a pretty small building. Um, but we began growing pretty quickly, so soon we we went to having uh, two worship services and then um, using the overflow till uh, the overflow was overflowing, and it was just obvious that God was um, blessing us in some neat ways. Um, so after I'd been here, I think about five years, we hired Dave uh, Bartlett, 
as our part-time youth director, and uh, Jim left, and we hired Dave's brother, Ron, as our campus pastor. We have one of my favorite pictures of the three of us back in those days, and yes, that's how we dressed in those days. Uh, and so it was, we really had, we really had fun and, um, the, the congregation just allowed us a lot of, of freedom and, uh, it seemed as if God was blessing in some, uh, some really neat ways. One of the, one of the times when it seemed like the church allowed me to use a lot of creativity was at our Monday Thursday services. So, um, each year on that Thursday before Easter, we would, um, meet in the community center here before that, then in the community center, and I would do some things that allowed for a lot of participation among the people who were there. And it seemed like people were touched by it. I was moved by it. It, it just became one of those sort of holy moments that I looked forward to. I remember one one year, we I actually had a guy make a, a cross, a pretty heavy cross, and we talked about carrying the cross, what that meant for Jesus, what it means for us. And so I invited people to, to actually carry the cross. Does some of you remember that? And so they, they could come up and pick up the cross and carry it on this uh, short distance in the community center. And, and sitting and watching... Um, people that I loved, you know, carry that cross. I remember, you know, some children wanting to do it and coming, and the cross was too heavy. And so a dad coming up, you know, and helping, helping their son or daughter carry the cross. What a, what a picture. I remember Mary Miller, um, who was, you know, one of our oldest members at that point was, I'm sure was in her eighties at that, at that time coming up and wanting to carry the cross. And of course it was too heavy for her and her son-in-law Bruce Adkins coming and helping Mary carry the cross. You know, those were some powerful times. It was one, one year we were, uh, we were talking about God sacrificing his son and I, so I was acting out the story of Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac had one of the boys in the church and we kind of acted it out and took him up on the stage and um, I actually tied him up and and put him on we had the communion table there on the stage um, to sacrifice him and uh, I I I couldn't I couldn't function it just hit me in a way it never had before I couldn't I couldn't do that. It was so powerful, I couldn't even act it out. And to think that that's what God did for us, sacrificed his son for us, was a moving moment. Another year that I thought would be a powerful moment, and maybe it was for most people, was a year that I decided we would actually have a, a, you know, a crucifixion. I mean, not a real crucifixion, but you know, the picture of a crucifixion outside. And so um, I asked Johnny Rogers, in fact, if he would be Jesus uh, for that. And uh, so we had a cross out way out in the in the grassy area out there, and a little fire um, burning beside it. And I and Johnny was to be up on the cross, and so we met in the community center and went through our thing. And I warned Johnny, you need to be up on the cross by the time people come out. So Johnny got up on the cross. He's wearing his little loincloth kind of thing, and uh, the service went a little long, and it was a knew it might be a cool night. It was a cold night. And so we went a little long. Johnny's out there hanging on the cross. Um, then we were ready to dismiss to go outside to watch this. Of course, it took people a while to get their coats because it was so cold. We went out, and I talked a little bit, and we sang, Were You There? And we watched 
you know, Jesus hanging on the cross out there. So I guess um, Johnny was on the cross for, what, 45 minutes, some ridiculous thing like that, nude out there in the um, in the cold. I'm told that by the time he got down, he could not move. He was just sort of frozen in place. It was moving to me anyway. I... Uh, I was frequently moved in worship services to the point, you know, where I would cry sometimes. And I remember one time um, I'd gotten a little teary-eyed in the service and finished my teaching, went and sat down and needed to blow my nose, <coughs> not realizing that my mic was on. So everybody in the community center is looking around at what's going on. I mean, unintended things happen. Remember when we we used to have the communion table uh, here in the front of the sanctuary uh, with an open Bible and two candles on it. And one Sunday, um, one of the candles wasn't lit. So just stupid. I uh, I came up and I said, and I hope all of you get the symbolism of the one lit candle. Well, apparently that was the last thing anybody heard me say the entire morning. All people could think about was the symbolism of the one lit candle. And so after the service, everybody said to me either, I get the symbolism, or they would say, I, get, I don't get it. What is the symbolism? And of course, the only symbol was that we for one of the candles went out. There was no, <laughs> no symbolism beyond that. Maybe the worst uh, Sunday I had was, uh, can you say the word diarrhea in a teaching? Um, I, I Saturday night, I had bad diarrhea. So I got up uh, Sunday morning and I took a couple um, anti-diarrhea pills, which are usually pretty effective, and got dressed and was ready to leave for church. And I thought, maybe I better grab a couple more of those pills and stick them in my pocket just in case I need them during the morning. So I went in the bathroom, grabbed the the pill bottle again, and realized they weren't anti-diarrhea pills. They were sleeping pills. I had taken two sleeping pills. So now I'm coming to teach, and I have diarrhea, and I'm semi-comatose. I'm actually listed in the Guinness Book of Records as the only preacher to ever fall asleep during his own sermon was just one of those one of those mornings that that I'll never forget so when i when i think back about my being a pastor i i think back to when i was in high school and junior high and high school the things about myself i loved studying i loved learning i um had a great memory i mean i still remember poems that i learned like in 7th grade who who does that um, and the things I really enjoyed were um, speech and drama. I loved being in plays. I was in the plays in, in high school, uh, in one community theater production, did some children's theater, loved doing that kind of thing, and in speech contests. And there were sort of, at least then, sort of two divisions of, of speech contests. One is where you would memorize you know, a speech that someone else had written and you would present it, or another one where you would write your own speech and deliver it. So I did that a lot, was very good at it, and had a lot of success at it. I began feeling in high school like God was calling me to be a pastor, and I I fought the idea. I mean, I was a Christian, I really wanted to be a follower of Jesus, but I was so sure that being a pastor would be so far from who I was and uh, how I 
worked. It, it just was a big struggle for me to give in uh, to what it seemed like God was leading me to do. So I did. I went to seminary and you know served churches before I came here. And honestly, what a dummy I am. It really wasn't until I was here one Sunday when I thought, duh, the very things that I love to do, that I am passionate about, I am able to do now and get paid for it. And serve the kingdom of God. I was able to do drama. I was able to write things and do creative things. And all the stuff that I love to do. I discovered that God had made me in a way where his plan was going to be that I would be the very person that I had become. And as I looked at the Bible, I realized that God says that really clearly. Let me just read you a couple of First from Ephesians chapter 2. A couple of familiar verses. And... Significant, I think. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And here's the part. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork, that God made us, and he made us in such a way creating us in Christ Jesus to be able to do good works which God prepared beforehand. God had already decided that these are the these are the good works that I want Ed to be able to do. And so I'm going to give him the gifts and the passions that he's going to need to be able to do them. And it hit me that God knew me better than I knew myself. I was reading in Jeremiah, and in the first chapter of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is kind of struggling with, with God's call also. And in the first chapter, it says this, The word of the Lord came to me, to Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Just amazed me to realize if this is true, it means that before I was born, before I was conceived, before I was carried in my mother's womb, God had already decided the person that he wanted me to be and the work that God was calling me to do. Isn't that incredible? I'm not just some accident that the the person I am is not a mistake. It is God's intention from the very beginning. Do you think that might be true for you too? So, So there was this positive side of being able to do the things I wanted to do and felt I was gifted at. And being able to serve God's church in that way. But there was, uh, there was the flip side of that as well. There were also some things that I was not good at. Things, um, that I didn't like to do. Things that were, um, difficult for me. Um, one of those, one of those things, um, was like hospital calls and funerals and things like that. If you take uh, something like strength finders, for instance, um, my top strength is empathy. Uh, which in some ways is a, a gift for a pastor to have. I feel things deeply, and I feel with deep people deeply. But it, it makes it very difficult. Like when I go to visit somebody in the hospital, um, I just broke my heart. I feel, you know, they're in bed there in the hospital, 
And I'm going, oh, look at you. This is terrible. They say, Ed, it's okay. I'm all right. You know, it's in, no, but look at you. I just felt it so deeply, you know. Trying to do a funeral. You know, funerals in two ways were really hard for me. On the one hand, doing a funeral for somebody I didn't know well was really hard because it was hard to say, you know, the kinds of personal things that you would like to be able to say at a time like that. It was hard if it was a funeral of somebody that I knew well. Because I cared so deeply. I, I would often tell families, okay, during this, during the funeral, I'm probably not going to look at you at all. Because it just breaks me up, you know, because I feel so deeply with you. So I was discovering that there were some things about me and some things about ministry that were really hard. One of those was sort of the administrative leadership kind of stuff in the church. I was not good at it. I hated working up the agenda and leading our leadership board meetings. Hated it, and I did it very poorly. And goal setting and things like that, I just, I'm not good at that. I'm not a good team uh, kind of person, and I struggled with that. Well, interestingly, God had that under control. And that is that he brought onto our staff Dave, whom we hired as a part-time youth director, but who had real gifts of administration and leadership. And more and more, I was looking to Dave to help me with that, till it got so Dave was just doing more and more of it. And finally, Dave said, "What? something's got to happen here. I mean, either I'm going to be a youth director or I'm going to be a leader in the church, but I'm, I, I can't do both. And the church said, you decide what God is leading you to do. And Dave chose to take on more leadership responsibilities. Um, now, that was that was really hard for me, even though it was amazingly freeing to my ego and my pride. It was very hard. When I left, I brought along a, a prop today, a gavel. This was a gift that Orchard, that Meredith Drive, the church I served in in Des Moines, gave me when I left because I was going to go from being the youth pastor to being the senior pastor. And this is engraved and it says Head Rev on it. You know? And and there was something really uh, good in my ego. I felt good about um, coming, you know, to to be senior pastor here at a church. And as it was growing and and God was blessing, I mean, it was obvious to everybody that it was because of me, you know, because the church had this great senior pastor. Why else would it be happening? And um, it was hard for me to let go of that. But I look back on it now, and I'm so grateful that doing it God's way is always the right way. And it was obvious that that was, uh, that was God's way. The other area was in terms of teaching, Sunday morning preaching. You know, that's the one pastoral thing that, that I loved doing that I thought I did really well that I got a lot of affirmation for. Um, but as, as the church grew, we went to three, uh, Sunday morning services. It just became more and more of a load. And as our staff grew, we discovered that we had a lot of people on staff who were very gifted teachers. And so um, more and more, we kind of morphed into this teaching team and shared the, the teaching load and responsibility and, and privilege. And again, that was 
That was really a struggle for me because it's something I love doing. It's the kind of thing that I got affirmation for. And uh, I just liked being in the spotlight and, you know, getting to do my thing. And to share that with others, um, it was hard. That was hard for me. It took a big work of, of God in my heart. But again, I look back at it today. Where would we be? What kind of church would we be if... If you were expecting me to do all the preaching at all the services every Sunday, I mean, you start out in Lincoln Center at 9 o'clock, and then you go to Grundy Center at 9.45, and then oh, and then you come back here for the 9.15 service at both ends, and then you go to Grundy Center, you know, and I mean, it would be impossible. We would not be the church we are today. We would not have been able to take advantage of the opportunities that God has given to us if um, if we did not have a teaching team. And I am just so convinced that that's what God wanted, that that was his plan, that that was a necessary step for us to take. And as I look toward the future, you know, the possibility of um, maybe starting a campus in in Waverly, it wouldn't be possible if we didn't have a teaching team. Um, So I'm convinced that we are best off in life if we recognize that God knows us better than ourselves and that God always, always has a plan that is perfect. So I think for you, as well as for me, it means that you need to figure out who you are and what your gifts and what your strengths are. And one of the things that I would encourage us as a church to keep doing is to offering our network course, which helps us to understand and identify spiritual gifts. You need to know what your spiritual gifts are, and then you need to figure out how you can use those in your life and in your ministry as you serve God, either in the church or in the world. Um, it's it's going to make you so happy and so effective if you're able to do that uh, in that way. Yeah, um, you know, looking at, at Donna and Ellen over here, the great examples, if I can use you for an example. I mean, Donna, I mean, Ellen has this gift of hospitality that she figured out. And so she's been using that in the church for years. So she, you know, heads up the funeral luncheons and, and does so much of the hospitality stuff here at the church. Um, you know, Donna is this amazing craftsman and artist that has been making banners and the two of them together doing incredibly beautiful decorating in the church. Now, one of the things that's happening is now they're having to let go of some of that. And so they're in the process, I think, of getting things so organized that like the Christmas decorating can be done by others. They're handing that off. Ellen has a team now of wedding coordinators who work with her. Um, there is always for us that process of figuring out who we are, serving God in his kingdom in the world, um, and then maybe eventually come to the point where now we're ready to pass some of those things off. Another just quick example, Kurt Patterson, when Kurt and Brenda started coming here to Orchard, uh, Kurt and I used to meet for lunch once a week, every week. And uh, Kurt had an insurance agency at that point, And it just amazed me, as Kurt and I would talk, that his number one concern was to be able to mentor and encourage and lead these young guys who are his insurance agents. He had figured out who he was and how God could use him, not just in the church, but in the world. And that's what God wants us to do. So use me as an example, if you like, of someone who, whom God gifted 
who for a long time didn't understand how those gifts would be used. And when I did, it just opened up doors incredibly for me. Now, I want to give you one warning, and then we're going to, uh, I'll wind this up. Uh, when you, when the church grows by necessity, you have to be a lot more organized and, and so, uh, like a worship service would be one example of that. Used to be that it was me and an organist. And so I could pretty much do whatever I wanted to do, uh, during a worship service. Gee, I thought he was coming forward for an altar call here. I was, <laughs> yes, I'm getting through to him. Um, now, j- just because we have so many musicians and technicians and people doing slides and producers, I mean, the, the worship service is laid out, you know, to the minute, sometimes to the half minute. Things are timed out. It almost has to be that way. We have to have goals and we have to be organized as a church. And it has to be carefully run. But the thing that scares me about that is that somehow maybe we're not leaving room for the Holy Spirit. That sometimes in worship, we just need to throw that schedule away and say, God is, God's doing something here. We need to pray or we need to get on our knees or worship something. There's just some times in the life of the church when we say, you know, it seemed like this is the direction, but now it just seems like the Holy Spirit is doing something and saying something to people. So I would just encourage us to be really as open to the Holy Spirit and His work in our individual lives and in our life as a church as well. Well, um, my plan is that 30 years from now I'll come back again and tell you what I've learned in that next uh, phase of my life. I hope you will still be here then. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You are Lord of the church. You are Lord of our lives. And I really thank you that you helped me to understand how amazingly you made us and and that you prepared us so that we could serve you in your kingdom. And I pray for each of these friends who is here today, I pray that they would understand who you made them to be and that they would figure out how you can use them uh, in the church. Thank you for your hand of blessing upon Orchard all these years. We look forward to seeing what you're going to do in the days ahead. Amen.